Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. This is part 11, Galatians chapter 5. Verses 16 through 21. I'm taking this in two parts, not this particular sermon, but this particular section. Uh, This week we'll see the works of the flesh, um, and next week we'll see the fruit of the Spirit. I was going to do this in one, uh, but throughout this week's study, I decided to keep these two separate. So next week we will look at the fruit of the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. I realize that's not the text we are in this morning, but you'll see why I mentioned this in a second. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, pay attention to what you have heard, lest you drift away from it. This is exactly what the churches in Galatia are experiencing. They had forgotten the gospel that Paul had preached, and now they are drifting away from it. This is the same truth that we perhaps struggle with today, if we don't pay attention to the gospel, if we don't pay attention to the word, if we get out of the habit of Bible studying, gathering with small groups, gathering for public worship and things like that, we will find ourselves, much like this church at Galatia, slowly drifting away from the gospel that was preached. Slowly drifting away, and we're going to wake up someday and find ourselves some miles down the beach. We just went out to play in the water just for a second. Have you experienced this before? And slowly that, those waves, that tide kind of takes you down the beach till you wake up, and you see that far down the beach, half a mile away, is where you started. That's going to happen if we don't keep our eyes on Christ, this is what's happening to the church in Galatia. And these Judaizers have crept in. They've smuggled this kind of cultural and tribal affiliation into the foundation of grace alone, particularly legalism, particularly pertaining to circumcision, saying that you must take part in this part of the Mosaic law if you're going to be saved. Acts chapter 15 tells that, that you must do this. And this is legalism. I love what D.A. Carson says. This is a quote I've probably shared with you before, uh, but I'm going to share it with you again. D.A. Carson is a wonderful theologian. Uh, He's from Canada, I believe, so he says some words funny. If you ever look him up, it's it's wonderful to hear. D.A. Carson says this, People do not, talking about drifting as I did in Hebrews chapter 2 a second ago, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, that's what we're going to be stopping to say this, that's where we start talking about these next couple of weeks. So we've heard about the gospel, this grace-driven effort. This grace-driven effort. Denying the works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. Apart from grace-driven driven effort, people do not gravitate or drift toward godliness, prayer, obedience to the Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. And we slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. D.A. Carson is saying that we drift, we drift towards things that are not 
the Lord. And here's the truth that D.A. Carson is bringing out. And we can shed the weight of legalism, but that doesn't magically ensure that we will walk in holiness. Do you hear what he says there? That even if we shed legalism, somehow we think that we are set free. Somehow we think that if we can just go on sinning, that grace can abound, that somehow we have found freedom. And here's what I want to get across to you this morning. There is much more than just not being legalistic. What Paul is preaching to the Galatian church, yes, is that legalism has seeped in through these Judaizers, but he's more than just saying to shed legalism, to somehow escape that and feel that you have been liberated. The true path, I'm double negative here for all you English people, the true path is not just to not be legalistic. That's a good thing, to shed legalism. But the true path is also to walk in the way of freedom, to walk in the way of the Spirit, through grace-driven effort. The truth of the matter is, as D.A. Carson points out, as the Scripture points out, is you will find yourself drifting away from the path of the Spirit, and you will call it freedom. So where are you this morning? Are you just shedding legalism, or as the Scripture is saying, but I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. This is what Paul has been building up to all through chapter 5. Listen to chapter 5, verse 6. You can look at it in your, in your Bibles. If you have a copy of God's Word, if you don't, there's probably one in the seat in front of you that you can grab and, and follow along with me. Perhaps you have one on your phone. For in Christ there is neither circumcision or uncircumcision, counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is the grace-driven effort that we're talking about. This effort that comes through faith, by faith, through love. This is what Paul's starting to unfold. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Don't go back to legalism. You were called to freedom. Only, here it is, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So Paul's going to start talking about here, what, is, what are the opportunities of the flesh? We want to know. He's going to give this catalog in a minute of what all that looks like, the opportunities for the flesh. Don't use your freedom. Don't shed legalism just for that. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Here's what Paul is starting to get at in Galatians 5, 16 and following. is faith working through love. Serving one another, fulfilling the law, loving your neighbor as yourself, not biting one another and devouring one another, but building one another up in Christ. This is what Paul's been after all along. I would do anything, he says earlier on, so that Christ would be formed in you. So that's the question, not just how do we shed legalism, but how do we love and serve one another in a way that Christ is formed in them? This is what Paul is after. This life, he says this, the most famous verse perhaps in Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Faith through love. Paul's saying that, Galatians 5, 6. Faith working through love. How? With Christ in us. 
seeing the love of Christ and living that love of Christ so that we show Christ and Christ is formed. It's all about Christ. Relying upon, not relying upon the works of the law, but the righteous shall live, shall live, shall live. Not just proclaim faith or testify to faith, but the righteous shall live by faith. This is the spirit-filled, God-glorifying life that we were designed for. And so what Paul is starting to bring into focus for us, giving some application, this gospel application that perhaps you've been waiting for all this time. So Paul, what's the point? What is faith working through love? But he's establishing these truths, these truths that this is grace-driven effort. He's establishing these truths that this is faith working through love. How do we live a life by faith in the Son of God? He said all along that we're no longer under the burden of the law. So how do we live by faith? How do we live in this grace-driven effort? How do we live by faith through love? Is has been saying, realize that you're no longer under the burden of law. The burden of the law has been lifted. Jesus has bore the curse of the law for you. Romans chapter 5 says this. That sin entered the world through one man, through Adam. And because of sin... Now death has entered all mankind. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Just as sin entered the world through one man, so that righteousness comes through the one man, Jesus Christ. And now grace abounds. Praise God. So how then shall we live? The burden of the law has been lifted. The punishment for law-breaking, which is death, has fallen upon Christ. You've been raised with Christ, crucified and raised with him. How shall we live? Grace reigns in us. We are no longer under the burden of the law for Christ has done. What the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The flesh could not fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. But Christ did, and what's more, he's fulfilled it in us, the Bible says, so that we are declared righteous. And now we don't walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. And he's just said, don't use this freedom that's been lifted, this burden has been lifted. We're free in Christ who the Son has set free it's free indeed. So don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. For your flesh could not fulfill the law, and Christ has crucified the flesh for you, in you. But through love, serve one another. The point is that life in the Spirit brings a whole new way of life. Paul's saying, don't live under the crushing weight of the law. Why are you returning to that, Galatia? That's not the way, neither is licentiousness. But live by the dynamic power of the Spirit that he has placed in you. For now you are under grace. Paul explains it like this. Perhaps if you've been in church for any time, you know this verse. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9. Do you remember this? For by grace, not by works, not by returning to legalism, it's not God saves you, now you do your part, it's grace all the way down. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Even your faith is a gift from God. Not a result of work so that no one will boast, 
For, so you're not saved by works. For, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Get this, for good works. Did you hear that? We are his work. Christ is being formed in us, Paul would say in Galatians. As Christ is being formed in us, he's, he's molding us and making us. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are designed to walk in the good works that God has ordained for you. This is not easy believism, Paul is saying, and just proclaim faith and go live how you want. But this is grace-driven effort, realizing that you are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. The reformers used to say it like this, it is faith alone that justifies. Paul's nailed that down. By faith, but faith that justifies, they would say, can never be alone. We are not saved by faith plus works, but by a faith that does work. We live a faith that is a functioning faith. Martin Luther succinctly and powerfully described the relationship between faith and works. He says, faith, however, is a divine work in us. It changes us and makes us to be born anew of God. It kills the old Adam and makes altogether a different man. In heart and spirit and mind and powers, and it brings with it the Holy Ghost, walking by the Spirit. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. And so it is impossible for it not to do good works incessantly. It does not ask whether there are good works to do. But before the question arises, he said, it is already done in them. And it's always at the doing of them. We must live a life of faith. This is what Paul is saying, Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by faith. Walk as one whose burden has been lifted by Christ. But you already know that this is not easy. You already know that this world has temptations. You already know the struggles of the flesh. Paul knew the struggle of the flesh. Romans chapter 7 That was the first sermon I ever preached in my life from this pulpit. I never suggest preaching Romans chapter 7 for your first sermon. Go with like John 3.16 or something like that. I tried though, right? But Paul's struggling between the flesh and the spirit and what's at work in his life, this battle that he undergoes. This is what Paul's after here. This is a battle. The first main point I want you to know, one, hopefully you see this is faith works saved by faith we're prepared for good works so we walk in the in the way of the spirit which walks in the works of the lord as we'll see next week through the fruit of the spirit we'll see that hope you see that point number two i hope this, that you see this morning that the battle is fierce let's go ahead and read but i say walk by the spirit so you understand that a little more now in the last 10 minutes talking about that And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, here's the battle, the fierce battle, are against the spirit. Romans chapter 7, you have this waging war in you, the flesh, the old man that's dying, and the resurrected man that's been raised to life by grace, by faith in Christ Jesus. They're against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. 
For these are opposed to one another. They don't go together. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. As a saved person, you want to glorify the Lord, but still you struggle with the works of the flesh. But he says in verse 18, if you are unled by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And under the law, the wages of sin is death. As I just been talking, that burden has been lifted. So how then shall we live? Here's, here's what you need to see, that the battle is fierce. There's a battle. The battle between flesh and spirit. Perhaps you can see it like this. The, the battle between living by the flesh or living by faith. The works of the flesh, he said, are evident. And we'll see what those are in a minute. He's going to give a catalog of those things. And the fruit of the spirit is what he does in us. So works of the flesh are what we are doing in our own power. The fruit of the Spirit we'll see next week is what Christ is doing in us. What Paul is seeing, the battle that is he's explaining here, these are opposed to one another. We have these opposing desires in us. Have you experienced that before? You want to do one thing and glorify the Lord, but there's still something in you that desires the works of the flesh. It's idolatry. It's these desires that... We're seeking to make sense of, and the New Testament has this concept of idolatry, as one man says, that puts it together with these life-ruling desires for lust, craving, yearning, and greedy demand. What they're saying there is we have these desires in us that we bow down to. Will you walk by the Spirit or will you walk by the flesh? Understand the battle like this. The flesh works towards self-salvation. That's what Paul is getting a point. Legalism. You're trying to save yourself through works. Flesh is also after self-salvation. He's saying, you legalist, you're doing this very same thing that fleshly people are doing. You're doing it through religious means, but you're still trying to save yourself through pleasure or through manipulating relationships or whatever it might be. Either way, walking by the flesh at the heart of this desire is that you are seeking to save yourself by controlling your own situation, by not submitting to the Spirit and saying, I will do this, I will take this into my own hands. I won't trust the provision of the Lord with what stage of life I am or what relationships I have. I won't trust Him. I will take things into my own hands. The Spirit works towards Christ's exaltation. So understand this battle. Will you exalt self? And try to save self? Or will you exalt Christ? That's what Paul's saying in Galatians 5.13. We have this freedom. Don't use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. I said it last week. Opportunity is this military term. It's the central base of command. So what he is saying here in this, this wartime, this opposing, these rivaled things that are in you, these rivaled desires that are in you, what he's saying is don't, Take your marching orders from the flesh. Take your marching orders from the spirit at work in you. That's what he's after. Will you live by the flesh or will you live by the spirit? The sinful nature, the flesh that is within us, wants to be our own savior. The fleshly heart functions under the law. It, re- it rejects the free gift of Christ's righteousness and continues to seek its own. Therefore, the sin, as one person says, underneath all sins, the motive for our disobedience is always a lack of trust in God's grace and goodness and a desire to protect and guard our own lives through self-salvation. What the Spirit longs for is for Christ to be known and exalted. 
And so understand this battle that is going on, this waging war that is in your mind, this waging war that is in your soul. Where Here's the question perhaps you can ask. Where will you get your marching orders from? Will you walk by the Spirit? Will you submit to the Spirit? Or will you submit to the flesh? If you're led by the Spirit, getting your marching orders from the Spirit, your desire will be to exalt Christ. So understand what's at stake in this battle. For this church, will we exalt Christ or will we exalt self? Self can be exalted through legalism. Self can be exhausted, I mean, can be, self can be exalted through living how we want. So the battle is real. Next thing I want you to know is the enemy is deceptive. Verse 19. The enemy takes good things that were meant to glorify God. Takes things like intimacy, religion, devotion, relationships. Takes things like pleasure and makes them ultimate things. And Paul is going to lay them out for them. The enemy is deceptive. The enemy will tempt you with things that God has given us as a gift and use them to glorify ourselves. You see this in our culture today, right? The sexual revolutions at mock speed right now. Taking something good that God has given us and seeking to exalt self. Taking something good that God has given us like intimacy or taking something good that God has given us like male and female meant to complement each other so that we can display Christ in the church and in our homes and trying to undo all those things. It's not a mistake that the enemy is after things like that, you understand. Because in it we see Christ. The enemy is deceptive. Paul wants to point that out to you. The works of the flesh... They're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. I love how Paul just rolls with a list here, right? Don't miss it. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. The core of of all of these aforementioned works of the flesh that are evident in our own hearts at times. Because remember what Christ says, if you've committed in your mind, you've, you've committed it. If you've murdered in your mind, committed lust in your mind, you are guilty. The core of the aforementioned sins are good things, as I said before, being misused. Legalists would look, people like like the Galatians, well, yeah, yeah, we agree with that, but Paul is saying that you need the grace of God in your life or you will drift to these things, no matter how religious you are. The enemy is deceptive. He goes after things like intimacy. Do you see it there? Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. What he's after there is unmarried, unnatural, and uncontrolled intimacy. That is... These things, as he said earlier, don't do things that destroy and devour one another. Works of the flesh destroy and devour yourself and one another. So he's saying if you partake in these works of the flesh, it's not just your deal or 
your privacy or your body or whatever, it destroys you and it destroys others. It affects others, not just the one sinning. It displays this unmarried, unnatural, and uncontrolled intimacy that he's talking about here. Which is, to be clear with you, it's anything outside the realm of marriage. The Bible's clear about that. It's a gift of God meant to be enjoyed in marriage alone. Anything else will burn you up. It displays a graphic self-centeredness. It dishonors those who are made in the image of God. It violates God's pure plan for marriage and is totally opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, especially love. It's tough, right? The enemy is deceptive. The world is telling you something else about all these things. Let's keep going. Idolatry. Sorcery. So not only in terms of perhaps marital intimacy, but also in religion. Through idolatry, making things, God things that are good things, elevating things above the Lord. That's what he's after. So we even use things like religion and we make idols out of it. We use things in the world to make idols out of it. We worship things and bow our hearts and lives and time and effort and resources to anything other than the one true God. He says, this is a work of the flesh that will destroy you and destroy others. It will devour you, he says in verse 15. Don't forget verse 15. It will devour you. Sorcery. This is false religion and this is sorcery faking the work of the Spirit. Sorcery involves the practice of trying to manipulate circumstances or dark powers to bring about a desired goal rather than submitting to the one spirit of God and trusting in God alone. It's fooling with some dark stuff that will lead you to stray, that will devour you and destroy you. It's trying to play God and manipulate the spirit, and we cannot manipulate the spirit. Churches can't manipulate the spirit either, by the way, right? I mean, reckon there's some churches that might be guilty of this. Today, people read horoscopes to find meaning. And many believe superstitious actions will somehow manipulate events. I take difficulty reading that being a baseball player. We are very superstitious people. We don't touch the foul line for crying out loud. And we do the same routine. We undo the bat and gloves and do all the things before we go to bat, right? Because if we don't, we're going to mess up. But it goes deeper than that. Superstitious actions will somehow manipulate events. So through intimacy, through religion, and even relationships, how we handle relationships can be fleshly. Listen to what it says, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries. So if you're doing good all so far, look out. These are works of the flesh, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and carousing. What's he after? Not only things are good like intimacy and devotion to the Lord has now turned into idolatry and sorcery. Even relationships that God has given us to be a good thing are being destroyed by works of the flesh. So if you see these in your own lives, those are works of the flesh. These are destructive attitudes, aren't they? Selfish ambition, competitiveness, That's not saying you can't play sports and things like that, but when you're competing against one another, I don't like you because you have more than me or whatever it might be. A self-seeking mode of envy, coveting, desiring what others have, jealousy, zeal, and energy that comes from a hungry ego, and hatred, hostility, and adverse attitude. So in our attitudes, and even in our actions, the, the result brings this out. It brings out discord. 
being argumentative or seeking to pick fights, fits of rage, outbursts of anger, dissensions, divisions between people, which is what rage leads to, and factions, permanent parties, and warring groups will destroy you and will destroy others. Those are works of the flesh. When you're tempted towards these things, remind yourself these are works of the flesh. Even indulgence and pleasures, drunkenness and carousing, obsessed with seeking pleasure, we are meant to enjoy God's creation and his world and enjoy it forever, but we seek that joy in other things through drunkenness and carousing, always after pleasure. These good desires like love and worship and relationships and pleasure are are being manipulated by the evil one so that we might live by the flesh. It's a battle, isn't it? But the battle's worth it. Listen to Ali. I warned you of these things. I warned you before so that you don't have any fun in this life. That's not what it says. Whoever does these things, whoever continues in these things, whoever doesn't repent of these things but makes this their practice will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice what's at stake. Here's where I want to kind of wrap up this morning. The prize is worth it. Here's the cost. The cost is that we've already said that sin destroys us and others. Sin destroys us and others. By faith, we love one another, the Bible says, and not devour one another. All of these things that Paul listed will not be fruitful and produce life in your life. They will destroy you. Sin destroys you and others. That's the cost of sin. Sin leads to death. Continuing in sin will make you callous to sin. You hear that? If we continue in sin, don't repent. We'll become callous. Like D.A. Carson said, we'll be drifting towards these ungodly things. People who sin against you even, maybe some of these things are coming after you, will make you callous to those people and make you callous all around. So let's repent of these sins. The Lord's exposing those in your life. That's the cost of sin. The cost of sin is that you will not love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul says that's what fulfills the law, not partaking in circumcision, but loving your neighbor as yourself. To continue in these things is to devour and consume your neighbor and yourself. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. Sin prevents love. Love, according to what Paul says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That fulfills the law. And ultimately, you have no inheritance in the kingdom if you continue in these things. Those are harsh words, but Paul gives them to us in love because he doesn't want them to destroy themselves. To return to legalism and try to be justified through works. He doesn't want them to shed legalism and return to living however they wanted to live, as the Galatian church probably did before they came to Christ. But he desires that they walk by the Spirit. How then shall we walk by the Spirit? Seek Him. Read the Word. Obey the Spirit-inspired Word of God. Pray. The Spirit will help you, Paul has already said. We look to Jesus and what He did for us. When we get our eyes on Christ and says, His blood covers me. 
Love covers a multitude of sin. That's a multitude of sin that Paul has lined out for us here in Galatians. But here in Galatians, but here's the good news of the gospel that love covers a multitude of sins. That Christ covers a multitude of sins. He's shown compassion for us and covered us with his sacrificial love. And this is what we do for each other. And so we forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. So we walk by the Spirit. We look to Jesus who covers our sin. We ask and we pray, Lord, ruin our appetite for sin. We look to Jesus and we say, thank you, Jesus, for you have taken the penalty and the shame of my sin. We say, thank you, Jesus, for you have set me free from sin that has held me captive. And now I take my marching orders from the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one who gives me life and raised me from death. So I get my marching orders from him. Thank you, Jesus, for sealing me with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me your spirit to intercede on my behalf when I don't know how to pray. Thank you, Jesus, that the Son is interceding for me at this very hour, pleading the blood of Christ for me. For if I was left to my own self, I would certainly continue in these sins. Thank you, Jesus, that Jesus isn't done with me yet, that he's still making me more like him, that I might be conformed to his image. Brothers and sisters, let's look to Christ. Let's put to death the works of the flesh. We'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit next week. But let's ask the Lord to search us and know us. As we said, as we walked through our revival guide, as we did in the beginning of the year, we're very good about pointing those sins out probably in other people before we ask the Lord to search our own hearts and pointing them out in ourselves. So let's ask the Lord to do that. God, see if there's anything in me. And perhaps it's time to get serious about your sin. Perhaps as we went through that list, you're thinking of things in terms of intimacy or religion or relationships or pleasure-seeking that you're finding is causing you to drift away from the gospel that you once heard. That's not living according to the Spirit and showing Christ and forming Christ in you and others. Perhaps you're like the prodigal son this morning and that truth about the inheritance, you've squandered it all. And you're in a far-off country, not even close to your father. Eating in the pig pen, completely squandered your father's inheritance. And perhaps some of these sins that we may like, I'm guilty of that. I've never repented of that. I've squandered my inheritance. Would you ask the Lord, like the prodigal son, to cause you to come to your senses, is what happened. And he remembered his father. He remembered his father loved him and he went running to the father and the father embraced him and received him, covered him, put a robe on him and they partied. The Bible says that as a sinner repents, heaven rejoices. And so the good news of the gospel is this morning you can put your eyes on Jesus. Perhaps the spirit is doing that right now. He's getting your eyes on Jesus. That's what the spirit does. Help us to... It helps us to get our eyes on Christ. And you're seeing Christ, that Christ dealt with my sin. He covered my sin. He covered my shame. And I am going to trust in the work of Christ and stop living for the flesh, but living for 
the Spirit, the Father says, come, behold the love of the Father and come running to him and he will cover you, he will receive you, and he will make you his own so that you will receive the inheritance that comes by grace through faith. It's a free gift. Would you come to the Father this morning? Perhaps you're a believer who's struggling. Come to the Father this morning. Let's get our eyes on Christ, that Christ would be formed in us. Let's lay aside the weight of sin that clings so closely to us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's pray.